Hey, fellow Mathers, before we get into this episode, we want to share with you how you can get access to free content, professional learning that will keep your students engaged and doing the math that matters. Get ready to go to this link, mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. That's right. Registration is open for the free Math is Figure Outable challenge that's starting May 15th and runs to the 17th at 7 p.m. Central. We're going to have three nights jam-packed with learning and routines that you can take straight to your classroom. In these challenges, we have a great time. We do some math, talk about classroom experiences, give away super cool bonuses and prizes. You won't just walk away with routines that are naturally engaging and encourage your students to think mathematically. You'll also have a chance to win over 6 k worth in prizes, including a few virtual PD sessions for your school. I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Kim, and special guest, Jenna Labe. You can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians. Welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam. And I'm Kim. And we answer the question, if not algorithms, then what? Y'all, we are so excited about the response to our podcast. It has really taken off, and frankly, we're kind of surprised and thrilled with how well it's doing. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate it. All right, we ask you guys to share with us a mathy person in your life. We uh, have heard from several of you who have parents that were your influences. So we've decided to dedicate an entire podcast episode to things parents can do with their kids. How can you help your kids be more mathy? So... Tell your parent friends to get ready for a How to Help Your Kids Be Mathy podcast coming soon. It's going to be so great. So listeners, welcome to the third part of the series, the top three things to start the year. During the first week, we talked about helping students feel seen, acknowledged, and valued by learning and using their names. Mm, So important. Yeah. And then we shared about how we can use lesson types, even if we're teaching remotely, to build a community of learners. This week, we're going to talk about the importance of having your vision about teaching and learning mathematics solidified so that everything that you do and say fits together. Uh, Pam, in an earlier episode, you shared some of your beliefs about teaching and learning, and you said that teaching was about relationships, um, that everyone can learn more real math and fake math, and that math is not about memorizing algorithms, but about thinking and reasoning. Let Mm -hmm. me ask you this. How were you able to get to a point where you knew and could talk about who you wanted to be as a math teacher? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So I, I want to start off with two brief stories. Um, when I very first got my very first teaching gig, um, I was hired by a gentleman by the name of Scott Hendrickson. He was the math department chair. He taught calculus um, in a school um, and he and he ran the math department. And I found him fascinating. And the best word that I have to describe Scott is integrity. And what I mean by that is everything he did fit. Like kids could never um, poke holes in his discipline and his grading system and the way that he taught because it all matched up. It all fit together. He wasn't punitive. Everything was more based on like opportunity to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't about um, ah, I've caught you doing something. No, it was really much more about, um, he cared and kids could feel 
that in in um, everything he did and said and the way that he set things up. And so there was just really this sense of that he cared about the students. And if they cared, then um, they would work together and they would, it would they would all make it work. I mean, he was kind of like a Mr. Rogers guy, kind of <laughs> a nerdy, um, unassuming, down to earth, but really ironically or or interestingly, everybody respected him like like the the different cliques in the school all treated him with so much respect i've never seen it before or since um it was just an amazing thing but i really felt like it was because he just had so much integrity with everything that he did i've never seen um that um number of ap calculus kids in a school Um, it was unreal the calculus program that he ran and the scores that he got kids kids were succeeding and feeling really, really good about how well uh, they were mathematizing them. It was cool in that school to be in higher math. And so um, from from looking at that, I was able to sort of um, figure out ways to make my system mesh, to make the way that I taught have more integrity. I was able to think through systems and structures in the way that I set up um, my classroom management and grading and, and just the whole ball of wax to where it fit me and that I felt like I could have integrity um, with the way that I taught and that kids um, really felt like that, that things were fair. Um, and I really liked the fact that my reputation around the school became one um, that I was really tough, but that I was fair um, and that students would kind of come in with a, almost a little bit shaken in their boots. And then within a couple of months, they would be like, you know what? You're, you're actually really cool. Like, why do you come off so hard nosed at the beginning? And I just smiled a little <laughs> bit and, and, and it was a way for me to kind of um, make sure that things just like fit together. How cool to have such an early mentor. And I feel like I've even heard you talk about him when you decided on grading policies for your university classes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he, he still influences the way that I do things today. Um, if I ever have a question, I often can just sort of think about what would Scott do? You know, like how would he handle uh, the situation? Really, really grateful for him. That's really cool. So another quick story. Um, when I, uh, so I was a high school math teacher and then my kids started going to school and I dove into the world of research about how we could teach elementary math better. And when I did, um, I, I read a lot of Marilyn Burns and investigations in data, number and space and young mathematicians at work. And, and I noticed that as I traveled around the country and talked about building powerful numeracy, I would then see things um, people would do with like investigations and I would uh, see them sort of miss. I'd be like, wait, what, wait, what do you, what do you do? Like uh, they would almost misread the intent of the, of the task or they, I would sort of uh, notice how they would um, use graphing calculators. And I, what, like, how are you? And I, I would kind of cock my head and raise my eyebrows how how could these um, really good teachers be using these really good materials, but kind of misunderstanding or misapplying things like that? Yeah. And it took me a little while to kind of ferret out what was happening. But I realized two things. I realized that one, I was kind of looking at everything through a particular lens. And in a huge way, I know I've um, shout out to Kathy Fosner and Martin Dolk before, but in a huge way, I, I caught their stuff early. And I was looking at things through their lens of a landscape of learning and a modeling lens that was pretty unique and a little bit differently. And we're going to talk more about that in the podcast, about that unique lens. But because I was looking through that unique lens, I sort of um, looked at things in, in wherever it was coming from. And I was kind of able to make, uh, I, was, I was able to take from it the, the really good stuff that fit and kind of ignore the stuff that didn't kind of fit in that system. 
Um, and then also I was looking at things from a higher math perspective. I would meet a lot of um, elementary experts that were inadvertently kind of using rules that expired or, or were doing sort of things that kind of looked like they work at the elementary, but re didn't really follow through with the higher math. And so those two underpinnings were really important for me that they were the lens through which I looked at everything and did everything. Yeah. So why is that important? We see a lot of teachers who sort of sway in the wind a little bit. Um, and what I mean by that is they try whatever new thing comes out. And we're suggesting that you need to have a system of beliefs and then weigh that new thing that, that comes up against your system of beliefs. You need to know what you, what you think about how kids learn math and really what math is so that your decisions are based on that foundation. It's less about, you know, I need this engaging thing to do today and what's Pinterest got and more of what's the mathematics at hand and how can we best get students' minds around those ideas. And I'm not saying that teacher pay teacher or Pinterest is full of garbage. There's some great things out there, but you really need to have a discerning eye based on what you're looking for. Is it the math or the attractiveness of the game or the worksheet? Yeah. And here's another way to clarify what we're talking about. Kim, you and I have some similarities. When we facilitate yeah. workshops together, sometimes people uh, like would look at us and kind of go, oh, there's like the Pam and Kim show. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes people might get the mistaken impression that what we're advocating, what we're suggesting is that they adopt our personality type. Yeah. So we're not the same, but we have, and we have some differences, but we look similar. We have the same personalities. We're kind of outgoing and loud. But it's more that we have the same philosophy on teaching. Yeah. So here's another way to exemplify that. You have a teaching partner that you taught with for years. Her name's Monica. Um, my personal kids had you too. Uh, it was mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and Monica and that teaching partnership. Oh, so Monica and I are nothing alike personality-wise. She's quiet. She's very relaxed and calm. And she has different interests than I do. But we made a great partnership in co-teaching because we share the same vision and philosophy about students and the way they learn and the way we taught. We didn't really struggle with each other's practice because more often than not, we believe the same things and wanted the same things for our classrooms. Like when you guys plan together, you were totally able to plan together. You were on the same page as far as, yes. as, as math and math teaching and what it meant or how kids learn. And so yeah. because you had those things in common, you really worked well together. Yeah. And then similarly, but different, um, Kim had my kids in her class. And so I would see stuff that you sent home. Right. And sometimes <laughs> I would look at the stuff you sent home. And I was like, Kim. And I'd smile and say, you can read the directions, Pam. <laughs> because I had just like glanced at it and I had kind of had a knee jerk reaction to like, I, I would see it and I would go, what in the, oh, oh. And then when I actually read the directions, you had rewritten the directions so that they were good directions. And you, you took what would normally be kind of a lame, dumb worksheet, but you made it into something yeah. really mathy, really uh, where kids were using relationships and connections. And, and I kind of would, all too often would have this kind of quick reaction. So I learned to look at what you sent home and really weigh out why would if and sort of trust you a little bit. What what did Kim have in mind? Oh, that really is good work for kids to do, because you have this cohesive vision about what it means to learn math and what real math is, and because of that, Kim, you can I can hand you any resource and you can find a really cool way to use it. Yeah, sometimes we're not given choices, right? There's things that you're told you have to use, but I could choose how I was going to use that resource. 
Yeah. And you did it really well. In fact, there's still times today where I'll be, I'll look at something or I'll be sent something or someone will ask a question and I'll, I'll call you up. I'm like, Kim, what's your gut instinct on this? Because mm-hmm. you'll have a way of helping me maintain my integrity about like, how, how does this sort of sit in um, our system of beliefs? In fact, right. just yesterday I hollered at you <laughs> and I said, I said, Hey, somebody just, and I'm not going to get a little picky because I don't want anybody to know who I'm talking about, but somebody proposed something on social media and I had this gut instinct of like, mm-hmm. eh, like, no, mm-hmm. like it's, it, it, it worked against what I, but I couldn't quite figure it out why. And so I gave you a call and I was like, am I right on this? And yeah. you kind of laughed and you're like, yeah, and then you were, and the more we talked about it, the more we were able to kind of go, oh, because it doesn't fit in our system. This is where it right. works against what we think about how kids really learn. So y'all, if you're wondering what you get by listening to a Pam Harris podcast or taking a Pam Harris workshop or joining our brand new membership site called Journey, what is that thing that you get? What you don't get is a bunch of tips and tricks. If that didn't gimmick work, then try this one. If kids are disengaged, here's a song or a dance to try. You won't even get a bunch of advice from a lot of different educators unless that advice fits, unless it makes sense in our cohesive vision of math and math teaching. So we want to challenge you listeners to take some time to think about and record What do you believe about teaching and learning? Does everything that you do fit inside your beliefs? And make some decisions. Like instead of picking something up just because it's flashy or it'll make Tuesday more fun. Like what, how does it help your students mathematize more? How does it help them gain a growth mindset about what it means for them to learn and think and use what they know and build themselves as uh, developing mathematicians? All right, cool. So if you want to learn more, check out the blog on the website, mathisfigureoutable.com. We'd love for you to join us on Wednesdays on your favorite social media at hashtag mathstratchat. And if you don't mind, and if you like our podcast and would give us a review, that would be fantastic and help more people find the podcast. So if you're interested to learn more math and you want to help students develop as mathematicians, then the Math is Figure Outable podcast is for you because math is figure outable. Thank you for listening and making math more figure outable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our free challenge at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central. Math teaching, math teaching, go register now. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.